Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker Podcast, the only podcast that jiggles, jiggles, wiggles, wiggles and folds. Oh. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Jarvis. Whoa. I'm here this week with two of the team. I'm here with Maddie Cullen. How you doing, Maddie? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. It's raining, Excellent. but I'm good. Yeah, and you, so we are pre-recording this for those who are wondering why we are not live as we usually are at 2pm BST on a Friday. Mm. Um, it's because you and the video team are heading out, hopefully, as long as the rain doesn't get too bad. Fingers crossed. Uh, to go and do something quite exciting that should appear on the channel in the next week or two. Very fun. Um, so we'll keep that a secret, but yeah, uh, hey, if you, if you like big red balls... Uh, you may enjoy what's coming up on you're the You're going to love it. Channel. Get that notification <laughs> yeah. bell on because you're not going to want to Ring that bell. <laughs> look out for those balls. Uh, also joining us, uh, Alex Meehan. Hello. How are you? Wow, that's not something I ever expected to <laughs> <you> say. <laughs> Ring that bell. Look out for those balls. Yeah. I just realised it's a very unfortunate combination of phrases. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. It's, it's, very, it's a, a lot earlier than we usually record. It is. So. It's, yeah, it's like just past 10 in the morning. Yeah. I'm trying usually this time in the morning I'm like sort of half a half fugue mm. state so trying to get pumped for the podcast it's like just put coffee <laughs> into your veins yeah. or something yeah is, straight in yeah honestly this is where I thrive I thrive early in the morning like this is almost like a little post peak for me like I thrive at about half six to seven. Oh wow I get up yeah. I watch a movie like I might read a book I look out at the bird feeder and go oh. wow those are big doves um, Matt Jarvis is a weird you are a weird little gnome you I wake do. up at like five in the morning or I something. I do, yeah, and then I sneak downstairs because my wife sleeps in. Yeah, because uh, she's normal. normal. <laughs> watch some art house film that Sarah would not appreciate. Uh, not that, like, not in terms of like, oh, I'm so elitist, but she just doesn't like the no. kind of films that I watch. No. So I watch those by myself and don't subject her to them. No. Um, but, um, so yeah. there we go. No, I we were Maddie and I were talking about this yesterday, like our peak period, mm. and that this definitely is not one of. Them. <laughs> first me, thing on Friday morning. Yeah, well, first thing on any morning. Yeah, mm. I mean, I feel like especially Friday, right? Like yeah. Friday, traditionally the day of the day. Of, I like, love it. I thrive <laughs> in the morning, and a Friday morning, I'm like, it's Friday. It's the last day of the week. I'm getting excited for things. Oh, do you um, get that like last mile like burst of energy? Yes, very much. So. Mm. For right. me, it's all about the evening. Evening. <laughs> That's when I'm like. <laughs> See, I'm asleep by like. I know. I'm drowsy at seven. I'm gone by half eight. Uh, it's not anyway, we have, hopefully, we're here to bring a burst of energy to your Friday or whenever you're listening to this, uh, as we talk about board games, tabletop games, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, in a slightly shorter podcast, because like I say, Maddie's got to run off at some point um, to go do an obstacle course. Uh, <laughs> what? So no, don't give away. A, a little tired. I haven't given away exactly. Um, I'll be facing the some fun is obstacles. In yes, that's, um, that's true. Isn't every day an obstacle exactly. course in its own way? Uh, but let's dive in, as we always do, with what we've been playing this week. Which, excitingly, we've actually played quite a lot together this week yeah. because we had uh, our Dicebreaker Game Day, which we now have uh, Praise about, about once Woo-hoo. a month, uh, where we just take a day to play some stuff together in the office. Which was very, it was very nice to come down and see everyone and to, to play some games. <laughs> Um, so should we dive in with what we played on that day? Because I know that we've all played them. Yeah. Uh, so the first game that we played, we played two kind of fairly chunky games. Uh, the first is Ankh, Gods of Egypt. Mm, yeah, like we discussed on the stream, not the Gods of Egypt film. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't which... even know it existed, so it was all very yeah. confusing to me, those references. Pretty bad. 
we also immediately started talking about it and I was like, this is great. Now I get to talk about Gods of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, Gods of Egypt, the movie, is, is real trash. It's pretty uh, bad. It's like a video game film, oof. basically. Where they just jump through CGI scenes and there's some quips. Although it does have, um, oh my goodness, the guy who played Black Panther. Chadwick Boseman? Yeah, he's in it. He's really good. He's the best thing in it. <laughs> I can believe that. That bad film. It's a board game. That's the third in the trilogy, the um, mythic quote trilogy by Eric Glad. Hmm. He's made some very good games. I would say that. I, I will put myself out there and say Eric Lang, probably like one of the, the hardest working and like fairly most consistent designers yeah. of the last 10 years. Like he's made some really fantastic games. Some bangers, yeah. yeah. Um... And some surprising, like the Godfather game that he made that nobody played apart from me apparently, <laughs> is for a licensed game based on the Godfather, like surprisingly great. It's wow. like one of those real sleeper hits. Yeah. Uh, sleeper, sleeper with the fishes hits, if you like. <laughs> God. Um, um, the fact there was any kind of reaction to that is far more generous than it deserved. Yeah, well, uh, there is an interview that can read on the website back when Ang was coming out um, with Eric, and he just seems very passionate about what he does. He's mm. just really into talking about, you know, what inspired him to make the the game. The fact that originally it was going to be released around the same time as Kemet, which is another Egyptian themed war game so quite similar and we did notice quite a few similarities with Kemet and and Ankh gods of Egypt but um he had to delay the release because he was like I don't want to bring out this board game the same time as Kemet and be like oh they're they're very similar games but um no this is part of the same trilogy as Blood Rage and Rising Sun which are both pretty popular board games in their own right and this one was quite hyped up had a Kickstarter release, came out, was delivered last year, I think. Uh, now it's available widely on retail. It's quite an expensive one, but it's mostly because it's just full of miniatures. But those games often are. Um, yeah. So we played it together. Uh, and I think Wheels and I played Blood Rage and initially. Uh, the digital version of Blood Rage. Yeah, which you've said is not not maybe the best way to experience Blood Rage, mm. let's say. It's unfortunate, yeah. Um, that app had just come out. Uh, and it's just mostly digital, so you expect more. But um, it was very broken. Um, and so it kind of ruined the experience a little bit. Uh, but I could see the potential. Blood Rage is like Norse Viking themed. Rising Sun is ancient japan like samurai oh. that kind of era and then ankh gods of egypt is obviously egyptian um it's important to note that eric lang is uh, none of those <laughs> um and there is a slight element of like mm. it is yeah it's kind of the like the blockbuster movie take yeah on those yeah. kinds of it, mythologies like it, yeah. it doesn't have to be said you know it's not it doesn't really delve that deeply into it. It's, it's fairly surface level. And it's yeah, like, look at it's... these cool miniatures of these gods. Yeah, there is like, I've noticed particularly recently, there is a running theme of um, European publishers 
putting out board games based on like cultures and histories that they have absolutely no connection to. So, same with the, the designers. Like at the moment, it's all about uh, South American cultures at the moment. Like there are mm -hmm. so many games that are coming out that are based around like Mayan or Aztec. Like it'd be uh, really nice to see something from some people. Yeah, from South like, America, yeah, right? Very interesting <laughs> place. That we, I feel like we don't get to see. Yeah, instead as of much on like authentically, so it'd be lovely to mm. see. Yeah, but Ank definitely comes like, from a very block, like Matt said, a very blockbustery, like surface level. It's it's very much like a the mummy style. Yeah. The, the, the heroes so in the game you play as egyptian gods um you've got like anubis and ra and Amun, you know your classics mm. um and each god has a unique power that kind of comes into play but it's not hugely important and it's kind of like a mixture between a euro game and a war game i'd say it leans more into euro game than war game because it's very much more about area control rather than like mm. I'm going to destroy your troops. Do, 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 do. But um, yeah, let, let let's get into talking about it. What did we What did we think of Ankh, Gods of Egypt? It was fun. Enjoyed it. <laughs> it was fun. Start. <laughs> it was fun. Um, yeah, I think I think I remember. I think the main thing that stood to me. Um, that you kind of touched on that yeah the gods have separate powers um, I would have liked to have even more kind of separation mm. it would have been really fun like um, so obviously you have your gods that have a standard power and as you're playing you can kind of pay with worshippers to like level up your god and give them like new powers but we all have the same powers which is fun in some ways because you kind of understand what people are doing but it could give kind of a bit more replayability if like those are a bit different I think that could have been quite fun yeah that's I kind of like that there's at least the ability to pick because there's kind of like an yeah. upgrade path and you get two from one column, two from the next, and then mm -hmm. two from the last. So you can kind of customize as you go. But you're right, it's like those are all the same for all the gods. Yeah. So at some point, like there's a good chance that like I think there of... were multiple of us that had the same powers because they just seemed like they were naturally quite useful. Yeah. And we had yeah. we played again yesterday. So we played it twice to it on the live stream again. Um and we were just like ended up picking the same mm. by the end of it because I was like, well this seems like the best one for everybody. Well I don't know. Wheels picked a a power that was pretty good in the it's it's more like there's more of an element of weighing up what's going to be more useful to you maybe in the long term versus short term mm. gain. So like there is a particular power that you can unlock in the third level called Bountiful, which is really good if you're... So the way you win the game is through devotion points, which effectively are victory points. And you can earn those through winning fights, through like taking control of monuments, uh, through like a mixture of area control, winning fights, and there's some little extra ways that you can earn devotion points. And there's a tracker that starts off in red and then it goes to blue. And Bountiful basically allows you to take another devotion point if you're in the red. So it's really good for like boosting you up that sort of that track really quickly. But obviously, once you get to the blue, it's useless. Hmm. So whereas Wills took an ability that allowed him to gain two devotion points every time two of his figures were involved in a fight that he lost. So it's that was more useful to him in the long yeah. run and it actually ended up doing wonders for him so yeah. there is an an element of 
picking certain powers over others and what do you think is going to be they do help you form a strategy so like mm-hmm. a lot of the powers i had allowed me to gain more followers and then i could use those followers later on to help me gain more devotion so there were there are like little strategies that you can have but i wouldn't say that there is a huge amount of depth in the sort of power like collection element um if we're comparing it again to Ang- sorry if we're comparing Ang again to Khmer for example which is also a game where you can acquire powers um in Khmer like there is a much wider variety of of powers and it's more likely that players are going to pick different ones um and therefore going to create much more diverse strategies and obviously every time you play it's going to be a bit a bit more different in that area um but the thing that kind of really i really enjoyed about ank was the fact that um it is a, a it's an interesting scenario of it coming across as a quite a again like one of those blockbustery like budget there's like a i don't know how to describe it like a high budget game like the miniatures look really yeah nice. it's like, so it's from come on who did like yeah. zombicide and again like blood rage rising sun yeah. and so if you've ever seen any of the games they are like very classically kickstarter games like big boxes mm-hmm. full of miniatures yeah. like very impressive like say yeah. production value it, it gives you like a feeling of like a like a high budget film like mm. oh these are really nice snazzy miniatures these are really like here's this really cool board with you know these these pieces it it feels like you know um epic in in a sense um but then there is definitely an element of strategy there mostly in sort of setting yourself up for future turns so i think the part about the game that i like the most is the event sort of system which is where essentially there are four different actions that you can perform on your turn, uh, but um, you can only perform max two. Uh, and uh, performing an action moves this little tracker along. And if that tracker gets to the end of its row, then an event triggers um, and it's kind of moved along the track. And these events can be things like uh, a player claiming a new monument, which are important to gaining devotion points. Uh, uh, they can be things like placing camel trains, which basically allow you to separate the board into more sections, uh, which is important when claiming monuments and things. Uh, and then there's a conflict event, which is kind of the, these are the big set pieces of Ankh. So these are the things that most players are working up to. Yeah, they're like um, your scoring rounds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're where fights happen, and they're where you're scoring as well. So they're these big set pieces that everyone is kind of working up to, and they know that they're coming. But obviously, you can't exactly plan for what you think your opponents are going to do. And sometimes players pick actions strategically just so they can set themselves up for for triggering an event, because the player who triggers the event gets the benefit from it. Hmm. So. Um, I really liked that aspect of the game. I think that's really what drives. Yeah, it's a cool way of balancing as well, right? Like one person can't just juice the same action or is kind of Mm. discouraged because there's a good chance they'll just hand opportunities to their opponents. Mm. So you do start thinking like, oh, I could like I could move some of my followers around on the map to get to a monument. But if I do that, the person after me is then just going to be able to swipe that event and score for it. 
So yeah. actually, maybe it's better for me to hold off for now, do something else. It's it's a really interesting system, and I think it's well, it's kind of well executed. Like it makes it, it kind of naturally nudges you to try different things on your turns rather than just yeah. get stuck in the same loop. But in a way yeah. that isn't then overly like complex or convoluted or anything like that. Yeah, I I will say like it's very much. It very much fits in that area of there is definitely potential for strategy here. Like, yeah. you, you can't just sleepwalk through the game, but it's not like extremely deep. Like, it's mm. not really, really like we played some chunkier strategy games. Yeah, it's fa it's fairly mm. popcorn, right? It's like we've yeah. kind of been comparing it to an action movie, and it is that. I feel like it's, it's a solid yeah. like seven out of ten. Like, it's it's got a bit of strategy. It's got good production value. It's probably not going to blow you away if you are. Like yeah, I think a lot of strategy board games, but mm, it's it's yeah, definitely fair. like fun and you know enjoyable yeah. in its own right. I think it's ideal for people who haven't played a lot of strategy games but want to get into them. It's yeah. definitely a really good entry point because mm. you you are most certainly thinking ahead and and planning, strategizing, you know, placing your pieces on the board in a certain way. I mean, like. The game that Maddie and I played yesterday, there is also this mechanic that I think is not as good as it could be, uh, which is like a merge. So what happens is that on one of the events, uh, the god that is the lowest down on the devotion track merges with the god just above them, and they basically become one, one mm -hmm. god. And and they those two players are working together, and I do think it initially we when we first played before it was a bit unbalanced because the person who is above the 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 losing person has to put their scoring token on on the losing person's one so they're they're kind of being knocked down um and in some ways that can make it much harder for them to to pick up ground but we also realized that what happens is when two people have their own actions but they're working on the same with the same god. Mm. Maddie and I were able to like set ourselves up <laughs> really <Yeah>. well, <laughs> which was fun. <laughs> which was like fun to watch because then Wills was like, "This is ridiculous." Because then we were able to set ourselves up for events. So we just dominated yeah. the event track up to that point because we deliberately chose mm. certain actions that allowed us to then set up to take monuments and things. Um, yeah, that that to me i think kind of that system helped balancing that a bit more yeah and i think it's, it's... go on money uh, i was gonna say it'd be nice i think my only issue with it is that obviously the lower person kind of just like has to just take all of their stuff off and like so you yeah. the date so the person you're merging with we kind of you both get each other's god's powers but you kind of just become the same god and like all of your figures all of your gods are dead and it kind of just feels like well i am merged but i kind of just feel like i'm out of the game and i'm kind of just like yeah it's like, like oh i'll join your team now and just watch you i guess and like it's because it could be really fun but it kind of does make it feel a little more like a little bit more like this one person is now just yeah charge. like no, okay <laughs> yeah i mean it might vary with people i can tend to be like because it was i was involved in both merges and mm -hmm. i was the they call it the higher god in both merges it kind of meant that like i was already I was the one who had the stuff set up yeah. and the other person's stuff had been taken off the board and it kind of felt difficult 
for us to work together in that regard yeah because it's like you've been setting up your strategy for ages and like I had already worked on my own strategy so I kept saying to you I was like no you just do what you want because I was like I'm working on my own strategy like I've already got I had a strategy I mean you did you did point out like you did point out something really important towards the end that I hadn't I hadn't I'd forgotten yeah I mean like I just think I think just like I think it's fun that like you get to work together and like if you're struggling behind it's quite nice like have someone to like boost you and be like oh let's like work together and bring it up I think just mechanically if you just get to at least like keep some of your figures or something just to like make it look a little bit more like you're still involved I think yeah I I love the I love the concept of it Mm. I think it happens too late Personally, yeah, I think it would benefit from happening earlier. Oh, see, I wonder if it happened earlier, whether it'd be more frustrating in some way, because then you've got to spend mm-hmm. more of the game, like potentially feeling a bit like you've been effectively eliminated, right? Yeah, but, but I guess it depends on the players. I think what they, the other fix they could do would just be to make sure to make it so both players feel more involved together. Yeah, I think that is the that's the thing. I think like maybe just it doesn't it's not a big enough thing like it seems like a big thing but it actually doesn't really change an awful lot apart from like taking the other players stuff off the board yeah. so maybe if it was made into a bigger thing that more more stuff happened with the merge like still keeping it balanced but like still having more more for the two players to kind of do with it yeah and having it happen earlier on i think would actually make it mean more because then like the two players get more time to actually like because by that point you're kind of both in your end game strategy yeah like, exactly working towards this and so like and we had very different strategies yeah. so it was like quite hard for me to be like okay i've just like given up on mine and now i've got to try and like work out what yours is having never played your god yeah um, it's interesting like... i feel like it's a concept that wasn't quite fully yeah like develop and again i love the idea of it i think yeah. i saw it in another game i would and it was just better done (laughs) i feel like i would love that but um yeah i feel like matt seven out of ten is a very good Mm. that's a good analysis of the game yeah it's like i'd I'd happily play it again but i wouldn't rush out and like however much it costs because it's i think it's probably a decent chunk because it's a fairly yeah i think it's like 60 dollars or something 60 60 quid yeah Yeah. which i think is i would be surprised if it's 60 pounds like yeah there's a lot of miniatures in that box Mm. it it, that's what pushes the price of these games up like but i will say usually i'm against miniatures for most games because i think it's unnecessary cost but i feel like the miniatures are a big part of that yeah they're not excessive here like and this is so we didn't play the kickstarter version which comes with miniatures for the monuments as well so the monuments for us were just like flat cardboard tiles but yeah so the miniatures were your god and their followers basically which is yeah you know you've got six followers something like that and then your god Mm. so it's it's effectively a little handful of miniatures and yeah, there, you know, there the are some dog, but... monsters and oh stuff. that's true yeah there's the yeah, monsters you can get. summon but, but i feel like the miniatures play an important part in the game yeah. like they're part yeah. of the blockbuster you need that visual of... representation to really yeah kind of see what's happening and yeah i, I think it's like... a good a good mixture of like it, it's not dozens upon dozens upon dozens of miniatures like it's no, just it's enough to give many. it that pop and to like you say make it readable yeah exactly box, but... yeah i think the look of the game is is a really important part yeah. of its appeal and i think if those miniatures yeah. were taking out it would feel even i feel like it would feel a lot lesser like yeah. we would yeah, notice it's true. 
we would notice its flaws a lot more, I think. Yeah. Um, cute little god miniature, like, oh, it's so cool, it's so cool. Yeah. It's they are good yeah. miniatures, like, they're, they're nicely really sculpted, nice. like, Command does, it's kind of got down the the art of a good looking miniature. Mm. A war uh, game that we did play that I was going to say, yeah, if, is there anything anyone wants to add on Ankh before we move Matt, on to the other game you ruined my segue. Sorry. <laughs> I just want to you know, leave the floor open for any last parting comments, but no, we can yeah, I would say seven out of ten. You know, it's it's good. Edit this out. Edit, Edit out. <laughs> Keep my segue in. Okay, set up your segue again. <laughs> Matt, a strategy war game that didn't have big miniatures in, but does was... have a big moon. Is yeah, present, present moon? moon. Oh. Yeah, you ruined it again, Matt. You ruined Sorry. it again. Look, we're gonna leave it all in. Um, yeah, Crescent Moon is the other game we played on our game day, mm. which um, is not out yet. It comes out on the 26th of May. Yeah. Um, it is a game right. that is like Root, but not really like Root. Um, yeah. So it is an asymmetric game. So everyone's playing with a slightly different set of rules. Although it's worth saying, compared to Root, those rules aren't quite as like wildly different. Like Root, yeah. everyone is almost playing a separate game, and then they all kind of mm. collide in the middle. I would Here, say you got similar concepts that tie everything together and then it's like mm. tweaks on each of those to some degree. I would say the key difference here between Root and Crescent Moon is the fact that the factions in Root fundamentally play differently. Mm. They have different... They, I would say they don't have different goals, but they have different play styles. Yeah. Like, completely different. Yeah, I mean, Whereas, you know, the era you're... you're building an engine like you, and trying to keep that engine going like you can't try and do what someone else can do no. like you you physically cannot mechanically no. can't whereas in no. you can't you can cross over if you wanted to yeah. yeah you can't move your units the same way as the marquees if you're the eerie they yeah. just work fundamentally yeah. differently whereas with crescent moon a lot of a lot of the different characters can do the same things as other mm. characters can do their objectives are what kind of separate them I think. yeah and like yeah. those actions have like little tweaks but they yeah. are at a base level kind of very familiar which i think is so i wrote a piece on the website today you can go and read it it's already up somehow listening Aww. to this while we record this um <laughs> because i was left quite fascinated by it i think it is mm. in some respects it is better than Root in terms of I think it is easier to pick up I think it's mm. easier to introduce people because it is not as it's not like learning four different games and then trying to remember those mm. four different games you know Root we've now played I don't know dozens of times and yeah. I still love it but it's it took at least a handful of games to really yeah. kind of get it um get it down pat but Crescent Moon, you know, within that first game that we were playing, it was kind of like, oh, I'm kind of understanding what's going on. Like, it will need more plays to really yeah. formulate how you make the best of each faction. But to some degree, like, it didn't feel as intimidating off the bat, and we were able to get up and running a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, so to, to kind of introduce it, it is set in the Middle East around the 10th century. It is not a specific part of the Middle East. It's not a specific yeah. time period either. Um the front of the rule book, because uh, while I was writing that piece, I was going back through the rule book. Um, they do say that they consulted with a historical and con cultural consultant, uh, as well as the artist whose name I now forget is Naveed something, um, is of Muslim like origin. Um, yep. So yeah, you know, it it's and an we, abstracted we, vision of the Middle East in the 10th century. But we had is, some yeah. we had some varying opinions on the artwork. 
I like it. Matt and I really like it. I think the front cover especially is oh, is just absolutely. I am so tempted to get that game because the front cover Put it on a shelf. is. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that you would display mm. on a shelf. It's, yeah, it's so really evocative of like what the game is. Yeah, and like, that time period, to... I think, like it's, yeah. it's almost like um like tapestry esque, mm. um, like tapestry um, with a lowercase, not tapestry the board game. No. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think, like wheels particularly, the card artwork is uh, a little bit, it feels a little bit different. It's, yeah, um, it's stylized, I would say. But, yeah, but I yeah. kind of liked it. I, I thought like it, it was it was fun. Like, I think that the, the, the components aren't very jazzy. I do like the little wooden, the little wooden oh, pieces. They're nice. Uh, it also reminded me of Pact Mirror a little bit, not just, just because of the 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 Doesn't have any chalky blocks like mm. Pact Mirror. Pact Mirror has those yeah. good like you just want to rub them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's another line there, Matt. You just want to rub them a little bit. Yeah. I'm writing that down on this piece. Of um but yeah you were you were explaining the the basic concept of the game. yeah so so it is a you can play on a you play on a map and the map is made up of hex tiles so it can kind of vary between games there are some kind of standard setups given in the rule book or you can build your own if you mm. are more familiar with it um but in general it's there's a river there are kind of fertile grounds there are quarries there's a holy site and you are essentially kind of wrestling over control of the map as these different factions so it, the player count, which I think is, it's one of the, the five, difficult things about it, is it. It's four to five, but I think really it's five. Like, so with four people, you don't have the Nomad, but I think the Nomad is one of the best parts of that game. And I think yeah, automating the Nomad, which is what happens with four, takes away like some of the, the best parts of that game, but which it's is similar the player to, interaction. It's similar to Root as well. Yeah. In that sense. Like the, the, I don't, <laughs> I don't think a free player game of Root is that great. It's I just fine, think, oh, but it's, it's fine. Yeah, but it's it, not what the game is it's meant It's not to the be. intended experience, yeah. So, and the important thing is that, like Root, these kind of factions, they balance off each other in kind of a very careful way. That means when you take one of them out, it just feels a bit weirdly lopsided. Mm. So, um, for instance, Wills was the Nomad, and as the Nomad, you have units, and for at least two of the players, you can't get your own like units, which you need to take over things by yeah, force without basically buying them off the uh, the nomad. Yeah. So you you either have to hire them or you bribe them. Um, the bribe is great. It's horrible. Yeah. And I love like, how horrible it you, is. <laughs> you basically make a deal. Like there's no set price, and uh, that's the difference. Yeah. Is when there's no nomad, it's just a set price you pay to the bank. Yeah. And the other so big thing is that. that the nomad, after they sell you those mercenaries on their turn, they have an action that means they can just disband them and basically pull them back out of you, yeah. which is brutal. Yeah. But it means that you yeah. kind of have to keep a fairly good relationship. Yeah. Even though, and that game is just, you're all against each other, but you kind of need to stay friendly to some degree. So yeah. Like, yeah. For instance, Maddie, you were the Sultan. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, like I was basically, again, I couldn't hire my own uh, soldiers. I was basically kind of like setting up towns and like cities and stuff. Um, and I could do that in like anyone's territory. And it meant if I did that, we'd all get some kind of income. Um, but obviously I, I find it harder to build my own army. So setting up like my own little town without anybody means it's quite hard for me to defend, which I found mm. quite quickly because I had mm. my army defeated. Yeah, um, <laughs> like it was fascinating how inherently your actions are not very aggressive like you mm. you ultimately you could people could just leave you alone mm. and you could nice. just quite happily like build your little cities and things but yeah. that would just mean that you win the game and ultimately just again just like for you can't you can't just keep playing nice with everyone you do yeah. eventually need to start like getting in there and because you need to stop other players from winning yeah, like, yeah. And so, it, like your whole thing was the only way you could get money was destroying my thing so it's like we were always going to have to like we were just so you were your kind of like warlord was set up to kind of bring mine down basically like it was mm. yeah i would say it's not as much it's not <clears throat> it's a bit like you know how each we talk about root a lot but it's important we talk about root because i feel yeah. like it's the most direct comparison here that we know but like it's not like in root where each of the factions are almost entirely designed to cancel out others mm -hmm. it, it is a bit more fluid than that because it a lot of it does depend on how the map is set up and where players decide to place things mm. so um it was just the case of um, i was destroying a lot of your stuff because it's what was there like it yeah. because it's the only way for me to gain victory points and a lot of the times money like i can't the warlord couldn't build things so therefore yeah. i couldn't just get income from like sticking things on on the different hexes uh the warlord has to destroy things to get they have to sack things to get income so yeah. i you know when i was playing the warlord i couldn't just like try and get over to some of the more Maybe yeah, we aggressive. We were like, yeah, rivers kind of, you can't cross rivers. Mm. You have to, you can spawn, I could spawn my units from influence tokens, but I needed to place an influence token down on the other side of the board, essentially. Um, which, again, Root has a little bit of where sometimes it's difficult, depending on your faction, to move things if you're just stationed a certain way. But um, I find that also very fascinating because it's a sense of just because of the way that people were playing, the way things were laid out, it just meant that naturally I just started attacking your stuff. Yeah. Where, whereas I could easily have also, the, according to the rule book, the, the warlord is more directly opposed to the caliph, which Liv was playing, because the caliph yeah. places um, these large structures, you know, like castles and forts and things. And that is more of a direct threat to the warlord anyway, because it's more militarily like mm -hmm. solid. But also the warlord gets more points, victory points, from taking down things like castles instead of just things like little towns and stuff. Yeah. So but because of the way the board was laid out and the way that we were playing, it's a lot harder for me to get to the caliph's stuff. So not it's it's like rings within rings. Like you've got yeah. the, the the base sort of 
strategic differences and stuff between the characters but then you've got the things that change depending on how and the game is aware of that it's like mm. you know every game of crescent moon is going to be different depending on what people decide to do and yeah now i think that is the thing and it's like maddie you're you had like a separate market board and it just didn't have set prices so it's like we could yeah. purchase from the market which were like two coins three coins four coins and yours just has a question mark yeah it's you like decide. you could yeah it's like we kind of want to stay friendly with you because it could be really beneficial because those cards help you win fights and let you do other yeah. abilities but as i started like basically taking Next your you. yeah some yeah. of your towns and cities it was like well this is going to make life harder for me later on so yeah. there's always that kind of fun swing between like well we're all against each other but we all also rely on each other in mm -hmm. ways that you can't yeah. avoid i think the, yeah it makes it really, really interesting really there's forces all... you to interact yeah yeah there's a lot again there's some of that in route where it's like you you often do the thing where you're like we need to take this person down together yeah and you inevitably you you're you you try and get someone onto your side to try and help them to take someone down who's doing particularly well so then you get a chance to win but it feels like in crescent moon there's more direct yeah specific it, examples of player interaction with that yeah yeah with the what the, the negotiation over prices like the mm -hmm. yeah the oh uh you know like i'm not going to come after you this turn at least if, if yeah. you do this like uh, and your character matt the mashid mashid yeah yeah it was quite a sneaky yeah so perfect for you really right <laughs> uh, thanks so much yeah my so my machine was basically built around influence so influence works separately to kind of military strength so whereas like mian's warlord and like wheels is nomad and even the caliph um that Liv was playing yeah was more like they caliph much, is like, more like structurally influence. military whereas yeah whereas i place down influence tokens and the fun thing about that is that they essentially represent like winning the hearts and minds of those regions rather than mm -hmm. like controlling them yeah. through an iron fist. So they can kind of coexist with someone else's military pieces. But it means that if people then fight in or around where I have influence tokens, I can then get involved and basically summon like the people of that region to help tide the fight. So, yeah. you know, with influence tokens, I can help swing tiebreakers or I can input cards or in like, I think one of the best like little unique rules someone can offer me victory points to like get my support during a fight ah. and if they win they have to give me those victory points but that's regardless of whether i actually help so i don't <laughs> necessarily have to help and if they yeah. happen to win anyway i still uh, get those points like it doesn't thing. it states that you have to give the points if you win but you know the machine doesn't necessarily have to support to. which yeah. i think is yeah again it's this almost feels like a a mix of something like Root with something like Doom, like the, yeah, the yeah, original, definitely. Like 1979 game. Um, in the yeah, there's that like constant diplomacy going on of like you can promise something, but you don't necessarily have to follow through. Yeah. And I think Root Root gets to some of that naturally, but it's not kind of built into the rules in yeah. the same way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think this is it was a really, really intriguing game. I think it is. Like I say, in some ways, you can tell that it draws from things like Rude, draws from Dune. It makes some improvements. I think it's easier for people who are interested in a game like Root that think it's quite intimidating. I think this is easier to pick up. Like another important thing is that you take one action each kind of in a sequence. Yeah. Rather than doing like an entire turn where you take multiple yeah. actions. So it ends up feeling quite fast. Like even though yeah, the playtime is like 
two and a half to three hours on the box. Like in motion, like even with a learning game where we were picking up the rules, it was going around pretty quickly and it was fairly yeah. easy to just keep track of like, oh, okay, they did this one thing. Now I'm going to do this one thing. And it just mm. goes around like that four times each round. Mm. Um, yeah. I think the kind of difference here in terms of what, so it scratches a similar itch that Root does in terms of like, this is a war game where there's strategy and play interaction mm. and asymmet asymmetric characters slash factions. Um, I think the difference here is, um, and it really just depends on like what you prefer and kind of what you, you or, you know, you can like, you can like many things, but um, mm. like I'd say Root has more depth in terms of its like mechanics. Um, which can make it really enjoyable if you do want to, if you do want a game that you want to play over and over just to kind of really get your head around how these things work mechanically. I yeah. think Root definitely has that. Whereas Crescent Moon, I think, is more a game of, it's like Matt said, it's more accessible and it's more like the experience you get with that those kind of off-the-wall player interactions, whereas mm. like there's no set way of doing things necessarily. Yeah. Like there's less, I said there's less mechanical depth, which does make it easier to, to learn, but there is that, those moments of unexpected, like, you know, oh, I'm going to give you these mercenaries. Actually, now I'm going to dismantle them. So, yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'm My... interested. I really want to play again. So yeah. Like, that's how I yeah. came away from it. It's like, I came away, like, even the first time I played through it, I was like, wow like kind of blown mm. away by it and this is this, yeah this doesn't quite have the same feel of like it's an instant classic and the first time you play it but it's still one of those games that i played and was like i just want to play this again yeah I'm you know gonna, it yeah. feels like one of those very satisfying games that will get better with each time you play it and i think it is like we've made a lot of comparisons to root and i think it, it is easy to draw those comparisons because you know it is an asymmetric game of about four players it's an asymmetric war table. game like, yeah yeah <laughs> it, it has a lot to share but i think actually it kind of stands alone by itself like in a way that is pretty impressive given the kind of shadow you know, yeah the root root is a <laughs> big game with a lot yeah. of claim under it and this kind of came out of nowhere but I think it really does hold up as like a really good game in its own right. Like I was really yeah. won over by it by the end of yeah. our game. So I, it's yeah, got I'm a really... lot of charm as well. Yeah. Like I love including the rule book. There's like a little bit that's in each book for each character. There's a little bit that's like written from an advisor and it, it gives you kind of an idea of what you want your what your kind of strategy mm. should be if you yeah. play this character. And I think that is just a nice little that's a cute touch and like mm. oh the felt bags we've not even talked the, about the felt yeah bags. the fabric oh, bags are very nice lovely. Uh, oh they're lovely a, osprey games who publish it yeah. have got a really good track record with production values on board games uh they did things like undaunted they also put out frostgrave um so yeah like yeah. they've they've become one of those kind of like smaller publishers especially here in the uk but i think they kind of knock it out of the park every time they put out a game. Like the yeah. production values on all their games are just like, wow, this is like something you just want to have out on a table or like you say, like yeah. have on a shelf because it's nice to look at. But I think there's here it's a... also just really good fun to play as well. Yeah. There's been a lot of chatter around this one, like within the kind of hobbyist community-ish. 
And I think there's good reason for it, not just because of the comparison with Root, but also like the fact that, yeah, it's kind of come from a small publisher and it's just got a lot of, it's got a lot of appeal to it. It's just, mm. it's just different. Like it's, it's not the fact that it's theme is not just another science fiction or like, you know, war, you know, stereotypical Western war game style. Like it's got, it's it's got a theme that you don't see an awful lot of, um, and the artwork is great. And like again, yeah, it's got that asymmetric element, but it's different. Like it, yeah. it's doing yeah. its own thing. So this is definitely one to to look out for, I think, and it's definitely one that we want to. I just want to get that copy that we got. <laughs> Yeah, like I say, I think where this really sits nicely is like if you've always been intimidated by Root, I think this is a good first step mm. towards that. Like it's, it's a lot easier to come to. I think it won't necessarily reward you. This this is obviously based on like fairly early first impressions, but I don't think it's going to have the same long tail as Root. No. Um, unintended, I guess. But I still feel like it's a really like a really well put together game, yeah. like really well executed. Um, yeah, I, I was really won over by it, really impressed. Yeah, uh, it's going to be at UK Games Expo, um, which Maddie uh, and I are going to go to. Yeah, hmm. uh, so maybe I'll pick up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh I'm no! Gonna, I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to say that right now. You're I'm, an I'm an enabler. Me. I'm a big enabler. I love spending <laughs> money, so I'm going to be big on that. Uh, is there <laughs> anything else on crescent moon before we no. move on to anything else we're playing uh no. all right uh that's i mean it's taken up most of this podcast but should we whiz through uh other things that we've been playing well, if anyone wants to shout out anything it's more fun for us to talk about games that we played yeah really. ultimately that's what we want to do mm. so um yeah i'll quickly mention that i played wayfarers of south tigris which is uh the new game from Oh, Garfield oh. Games. Garfield Games. Uh, it's like the the first one in the the third tr trilogy of games. So they they did the North Sea trilogy. Mm. They did the West Kingdom, and now this is uh, the South Tigris. Um, and there's probably going to be one after this trilogy in the East. I can't remember the if they've East, already announced yeah. it. I feel probably. Like Might as well have. Um, so South Wayfarers of South Tigris is kind of I don't know specifically what it's themed after, but it it feels I'm gonna take a stab at like Middle Eastern as well. It's got like kind of I I think Chase explained it to me, but I yeah, well, I think Tigris and Euphrates is um, like Northern Africa. I want to say um, yeah, but obviously okay. it's the river Tigris that runs through Tigris. Okay, yeah. Um, so North Africa, I believe. I'm not good at geography, but I know. Yeah, I'm terrible at geography. Well. It's the two rivers, and they meet, and that's why okay. that okay. is called that. So um, it's wherever that river is. But it's it's uh you're essentially playing um, uh yeah. So you're essentially playing uh, an advisor to the caliph, who is, and you're you're mapping out like the 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 world. So it's it's based on like the fact that navigators of that era were capable of like mapping out entire parts even discovering that the world wasn't flat <laughs> mm. um and you uh it's a tableau building game so you're you're making a tableau from the different cards that you you purchase 
Uh, it's quite a lot to begin with. There's a lot of different things that you can do, a lot of symbols, and it's a little bit overwhelming. But once you start getting into it, it's very much one of those games of, I'm going to do this action so then later on I can I can do this action. A lot of it is very much worker placement, getting resources, so then later on you can perform this particular action and slowly but surely build up your tableau and you eventually score points at the end from various different having various different things in your tableau such as like getting scoring cards that you can score off by having other cards in your tableau and um it's very much one of those yeah layers upon layers of of sort of strategy that way but mm. i really enjoyed it it was it was it was great like the artwork's fantastic it's by oh. the artist's name that i can never remember is it the miko I think who did the stuff for Raiders of North yeah and so they, on. I they've think they're done known the, as the, the artwork yeah they their full name I can't remember exactly but yeah then they've done artwork for all of the games yeah. in each of those trilogies and it just it's just so unique that as soon as you see it you know immediately that it's them it, they're like Kyle Barron in that way they have mm. that right. immediately recognizable art style that's just really unique. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. I'd like to play it again. We want to play it with you, Matt Jarvis. Yeah, I am a big fan of Raiders of the North Sea, and I've dabbled with Architects of the West Kingdom mm, yeah. and some of the others in those the trilogy of trilogies that. Shem yeah, there's a lot of these games, and they're all they they I think they share the common theme of they're set in different they're they're set around different historical mm. kind of eras. Like right. the North Sea is like Viking kind of era. The West Kingdom is like Christian European. Yeah, I think a, something like that. Like uh, castle age. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Tigris is obviously yeah North North Africa that kind of era when you know people were making amazing discoveries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, yeah. I thought it was good. I'd like to play it again. Uh, Maddie. Yes. What have you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have uh, played, me and Wheels played some Watergate, uh, which is where one of you is Richard Nixon trying to cover <laughs> up Watergate. And one of you yeah. is a journalist trying to uncover Watergate. Um, I was a journalist. Uh, it's quite fun. It's. Um, yeah, you're kind of like pushing back and forth against each other. Um, kind of like it's based around this big board of like pieces of evidence. You've got like connect pieces of evidence um, as a journalist, uh, and you're going to connect pieces of evidence to Richard Nixon and like various people. Um, mm -hmm. They have like colors and stuff, so you can only go in certain places. And then um, Nixon can like overturn evidence, like basically like burn it, and then you can't access like roots and stuff. Um, it's it's fun. Um, I enjoyed it. It was mm. good. It's definitely one of those games that I feel like has a really interesting theme. Mm, yeah, but <laughs> I was like, how are you going to execute that? But <laughs> I was, I, I kind of thought that I don't know whether the gameplay fate plays into the theme all that well. Yeah, it, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I we were looking at the rule book, and literally two thirds of it is like just information around like About the time period like yeah. context like contextualizing it and like obviously like the pieces of evidence like you have like cards you play um that can be like so like, i am playing like events so they're like big 
events that happened around Watergate yeah. that like expose things so, like that's like kind of like oh this is an event this is a real thing that happened um and you can like read little stuff about it so you yeah learn a little bit um if you I feel wish. like what you actually do isn't <laughs> you're kind of just placing things did I learn and... much um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah cool. i was... think we we have a let's play on the channel from way back when because it's one of the first, first games, games we... i think i believe johnny and wills played it yeah. Oh. yeah um but yeah i because we had it at egx the, the year that dicebreaker launched and we were running yeah. tables of it so yeah i remember kind of yeah feeling similarly it's like oh this is interesting like gameplay wise and it's like a unique theme but it's like the two don't They're necessarily really... meld yeah. all the time yeah it's you like... definitely do it with other kind of themes where like one person's trying to uncover something and yeah. another is hiding stuff i guess mm, yeah anything else you played money um obviously D, D every week oh i finally ran my first city of mist session oh. friday i finally got to run it rather than just playing which was very fun uh yeah uh people are i i put out my first mystery and people were all like uncovering things mm -hmm. uh, they found a basically my mystery is that around uh alice in wonderland kind of like coming to life in a weird way and they've like uncovered the first stage of that and what so they don't really know what's happening with it so all they all their characters met in a park and um like a girl had collapsed after she like and she had like a teacup in her hand and there was like weird like rabbits and like teacups and like flowers everywhere and they were like what's going on um but it was fun i've never run a mystery before um it's definitely hard um because there's i had a lot of pieces of evidence that i were, like i was like they're probably not going to find all of it and it's 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 hard to balance like how much to give them and how much to be like yeah you just see this or be like oh i let them like uncover it um but it was fun i love city of myth i think it's very good like kind of rules light encourages role play um and just a very fun thematic setting in a noir city with legends giving you powers was this like a custom sorry you put together or was it like a yeah oh, like... no this is like something i made up i'm oh. hoping um yeah just it's, cool. it's fun i'm gonna i'm excited to see where it goes what they uncover next uh and try and keep my mystery together and not let it fall apart <laughs> i feel like mysteries are the hardest thing to do in any yeah. rpg <laughs> i've tried to keep it pretty simple i think um but like there's a lot of there's a lot of different i think the, i think the main tip is like give them more clues than you think that they need like, like give them at least three clues yeah. in every situation yeah scenario. backups to backups of like yeah. oh they completely <laughs> biffed this role so for some reason they didn't like spot this yeah clue. well luckily city of miss is quite you don't necessarily have to roll to like do everything which i think again lends itself oh, that's well cool. yeah. you're not having to do like investigation checks like if someone's like i'm searching the body i'm like cool yeah your character like worked for like the government and like or is like a pi one of my characters nice. is so i was like you probably know where to search and so you would find this like, yeah that you know. sounds like gumshoe which i really like because i've not played city of mist yeah. but like gumshoe i like as a system for mystery stuff because it does a similar thing of like yeah you're not rolling investigation like if you know something you just kind of know it and then it's yeah. like you can get further and discover other stuff and that's more of a chance but oh, the like the stuff you need to progress you know you will just find yeah you can't so just cool. fail it all which is nice um yeah i really want to play some more mysteries and do some more but yeah nice. that's my thing uh anything else for you both 
No, going back, Jarvis, what else have you been doing? Anything else? Uh, I haven't really been playing much else, but I want to give a shout out because I discovered a game. Actually, they followed us on Instagram and then I was like, oh, that actually seems really interesting. Um, <laughs> it's a fan made board game for The Last of Us, um, which actually came out this week. Uh, you can go and freely download it. Again, it's a fan made project, so they're not selling it, anything like that. But I was kind of taken aback by just how like detailed this project is. So, um, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I've forgotten their name. Uh, after I spoke to them, um, Walt something, I think. Uh, you can go and read the story on the Dustbreaker website. But anyway, they um, they have created this fan-made board game and they've redone all the the illustration themselves. They've come up with the design themselves. And it is, it's a mixture of, you know, The Last of Us video games. It's Last of Us mm. 1, Last of Us Part 2, and then their vision of what The Last of Us 3 could be. And, and there's a Left oh, Behind God. in there as well, which was the DLC um, that eventually became a standalone thing. But it's a really interesting take. Um, so you can play as various different characters from the Last of Us universe. Uh, they are affiliated with different factions that kind of... Yeah, that th that's sense. where the different timelines come in. Like, it's not set during yeah. a specific timeline. So you could have Ellie of Last of Us 1, mixed with Ellie of Part 2, mixed with Ellie of Part 3, and so on. Um, and then the scenarios can be cooperative. So they can be, you know the players working together to scavenge things and deal with the infected and not make too much noise, or they mm -hmm. can be competitive and you can come up against, you know, other human scavengers in the, in the way that the last of us video games kind of have that mixture of like, there are a load of infected enemies about around, but also humans can be just as deadly and just yeah. as much of a threat. Um, and yeah, it does some really interesting things with you collect resource cards and you can craft items that way. Uh, you, when you move, you can either move using movement cards or you can roll a die, but the risk of the die is that if you roll too high, you make noise and then infected okay. will be drawn to you yeah. and the infected work in different ways that, you know, like they do in the video game. Some, some run straight at you, some are slower, but tougher to take down. Mm. You know, there's a mixture of firearms and melee weapons and that kind of thing. Um, you can run away and hide in grass if you're quick enough, but you know, or you can try and go all out. So it seems to really yeah. capture the the spirit of The Last of Us. And it was just one of those fan projects that I was really kind of amazed by. Like, it's a really fully yeah. featured board game. Like, it's an original design. It's not just, like, reskinning something that exists. Wow. Um, I think they said they took some inspiration from... There's, like... I think they originally said they took some inspiration from the Horizon Zero Dawn game, and then that didn't quite work out, so they went with something different. Um, That's good. You know, they originally had a yeah. They originally <laughs> had a much more like they had the, a listing mechanic in there, like in the video games, but that just didn't make it very fun. So they stripped mm. that out. So it's been mm. through like rounds of playtesting, and it is like a really impressive thing. And it's just available for free through the it Instagram Sounds page, awesome. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's interesting because come on, who did uh, Anchor Gods of Egypt, Blood Rage, mm -hmm. Rising Sun? A couple of years ago, they announced that they were working on an official Last of Us board game. Uh, which Pretty doesn't sure have a release date. Um, Pretty sure they announced it last year. Yeah. So. so, but it's it's definitely been a while since it was announced. We haven't really heard anything else, and we don't know when it's out yet. And so, in the meantime, the fact that a fan has kind of come up with this project, like create, like I say, mm -hmm. original illustrations, like, oh. and the the downloadable files for it are, you know, different boards for the environments, different standees for the characters, but then also storage boxes for like the different sets of ally cards or the different sets of enemy cards. Oh, there are like mini that. expansions based on, you know, specific 
parts of the stories or specific elements of the games. It's really, really impressive. Oh, that um, is cool. I so yeah, I you know go and check it out. Like I wrote up a story and spoke with the designer um, for the Dicebreaker website, but you can also then find the link. And like I say, it's just free because it's a fan project, so it's not an official Naughty Dog thing. It's not mm -hmm. like tied to the Last of Us game that's coming out. It's just one fan who decided to make this kind of incredible project. So well, the artwork is really good. It's really good, right? It's and really good. Like oh, there's a box for it and everything. Yeah, oh. their idea of the of part three is really interesting. It takes place in like New Mexico, and there's like a new original character and an older Ellie that they've. Oh, it's so really cool. like it's a real <laughs> undertaking. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to give box. it a shout out because I was kind of blown away by it when I discovered yeah. it. And I say they followed us on Instagram, and I thought, oh yeah, it'll be one of those. And then looking at it, it was like. Wow, well, this yeah. is pretty <laughs> staggering. Like, what, uh, what an achievement! Oh, so. they should, they should. Oh, um, Sony, who uh, Naughty Dog, Sony, Sony's probably got the rights, right? Uh, yeah, I think Sony are partnered with Naughty Dog if they don't mm. own them outright, but um, yeah, no, they should definitely get on this. Yeah, right. so I mean, well, they've already given that license on, to but... come on, so no, uh, no, uh, well. Maybe yeah. come on, you know, drop them a line. We'll I'm sure they've got like, their own design hey. going, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, this is uh, awesome. Love that. All right. I think let's call it there for this week's Dice Break Podcast. Before we close out, though, uh, I just wanted to shout out, we a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned that there was an itch bundle um, to support kind of... Um, to support charities and organisations uh, acting kind of in the wake of the recent Roe versus Wade uh stuff going on over in the US where the uh, US Supreme Court, I believe, is looking to overturn Roe versus Wade, which of course effectively like legalizes abortion at a federal level. Um, Chase wrote up a story a couple of days ago. You mean it ago. illegalizes? Yeah. Uh, yes. Legalizes. Sorry, yeah. I meant to say legalizes. So it makes legal uh, makes abortion legal, um, of course, because it is a vital yeah. medical yeah. bit of medical care um, and should be legalized, of course. Mm. Um, so Chase wrote up a story a couple of days ago um, about another bundle called the TTRPG for Reproductive Rights Bundles, um, which you can go and find the links to on the Dicebreaker website. But again, it's like a stag... As has become the norm recently, it's a staggering amount of really good games. There's mm. things like Beam Saber in there, which I think is a Blades in the Dark or Forge in the Dark game that's mechs and stuff. There's Glitter Hearts, which is about like transforming heroes like Sailor Moon-esque. Uh, there's legacy life among the ruins like there's some real kind of big names there's some smaller names as well but it's like 300 games almost yeah five dollars and that money yeah. goes towards um an important cause yeah. yeah it goes to Planned Parenthood and the National Network of Abortion Funds um so you mm -hmm. know both organizations working uh in the wake of this kind of like terrible news really you know like yeah. stripping yeah. away the right essentially basic people. human rights that yeah every like pregnant person should have um access yeah. to uh the ability to get an abortion um so yeah go and go and check that out i think that other bundle is still running as well um there i know that there are a number of bundles out there that are supporting these organizations so you know it it benefits the people that need that money and need that support and it also gets you a load of really good games um so go and check them out if you haven't already uh but i wanted to at least just give a shout out on this slightly shorter podcast because mm. yeah it's a it's a good thing yeah um but for now, that is a slightly shorter podcast. We actually spoke about a lot of games, though. Was, yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. To the rafters with uh, <laughs> games, but uh, 
Icebreaker.com. Yeah, go to Dicebreaker.com. The games we spoke about included uh, Ant Gods of Egypt, Crescent Moon, Wayfarers of South Tigris, Watergate, City of Mist, D&D, of course, uh, and Last of Us board game, I think is what it's just called on Instagram. So uh, go and check out those games uh, if you were taken with any of our thoughts. But for now, this has been the Dicebreaker podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you, of course, to Maddie Khan for being here. Thanks for having uh, me. Thank you, Alex Meehan, for joining us. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. You should come to the YouTube Dicebreaker channel uh, every Friday at 2pm VST, usually because that's when we record it live. And you should also subscribe and join our membership. I don't have an outro to do now because me and just did it. But yeah, <laughs> dicebreaker.com, youtube.com slash dicebreaker every Friday from 2pm BST normally. And keep your eyes out for the video that Maddie is about to go and record. Yes, with yes. Um, which I'm sure will be a laugh. Uh, but until then, look after yourselves out there. Take care. Uh, we will see you again very soon on the Dustbreak podcast. But until then, have a lovely day. Bye bye. <laughs>